love. It is just awful that in the English language, we don't have enough words that specifically guide us for the kinds of love. So when we're talking about the seven domains of love, are we talking about erotic love? Are we talking about maternal love? Are we talking about the love for a sibling or a very good friend? Are we talking about the love of mankind? What are we talking about? And in fact, love is a secondary emotion. Maybe we'll call it secondhand, just like Tina does, okay? It's a secondhand emotion. The animated movie Inside Out was a powerful video that I think every parent and every kid should watch where an eight-year-old girl is living her life having moved from her favorite place to a new place, which is San Francisco, where she doesn't have any friends. But what you get the chance is to watch her primary emotions play on a keyboard. So they are playing together to create the emotional life of this child who's having a pretty hard time. This movie was made by uh, neurobiologists. So neurobiologists and neuropsychologists help make this movie. And so you get a chance to see how the inner life of a child is expressed in her outer life. So those four that were in this movie, joy, fear, anger, and disgust, are primary emotions. They immediately ask for a response. And you don't have much control over it. In this case of the movie, there were four. But some smart people have really considered that maybe there are more than that of the primary emotions. Primary emotions from people who study this might say that there are eight primary emotions. In the movie Inside Out, there were four just because so many characters inside this little girl's brain playing at the piano of her emotional life was going to be too many if it was more than four. But they are anger fear, sadness, disgust, surprise, anticipation, trust, and joy. And love isn't one of them. So where does love come into it? Well, this is where love is a secondary emotion. Love is an emotion that combines often two of the primary emotions. So love is an emotion, but you often have to figure out what its manifestation is. So love might make you feel trust. I hope it does. Love of a child might make you feel joy. Love might help you feel anticipation of being with or seeing your loved one. Love and its in its anger form might lead to sadness or fear or anger. So love is a secondary emotion meaning primary emotions have been characterized by emotions that give you an immediate physiologic response that is tends to be uh, evolutionary advantageous. So if something is scary, you feel afraid and you run. If something is disgusting, then you go, ooh, and it happens immediately. And love is not a primary emotion. Although many of us feel that love is the primary emotion in our lives, it's not. Joy, fear, anger, disgust, all those have reasons to happen immediately. You don't even think about it. You feel it. And then you have to process it. Now, the opposite of love is hate. And that gets right into fear and anger. And certainly, hate can make you sick. We have many, many reasons to believe that forgiveness, um, if you hate someone, 
it makes your blood pressure go up. It makes your cortisol level go up. It makes all the kinds of things that make you sick and make you at increased risk of getting infections and cancer be more activated in your body. So the alternative of love you can say is hate, but hate or fear, hate might be part of fear, which is a primary emotion, is really bad for you. Also, love is something that when it's expressed in a way that you can receive, makes your blood pressure go down. It makes your heartbeat go down. It makes your immune system work better. And it makes you feel better all over. Makes you feel warm and tingly, love does, when it's expressed in a way that you can appreciate. So what's love but a secondhand emotion? It is a pretty important secondhand emotion to us physically. Love in its manifestations can make you feel much better. Erotic love makes you kind of high um, and it can be disrupting when it's part of your or all of your life. The absence of love or hate can make you sick and something happening to a loved one can make you so distressed it can make you sick. Here's a little story. Someone very, very dear to me was very sick and some serious things needed to be done. And I was so upset about it as we were processing exactly what we were going to do that I broke out in shingles. So this is a grown-up woman who's used to doing difficult things. And I've done a lot of difficult things in my life. But this particular thing, because it was happening to someone I love, was so distressing that my immune system was suppressed The shingles virus, which is the same virus that causes chickenpox, was in my body from the time I had chickenpox when I was six. It realized that my immune system was suppressed and it popped out in the form of a very large outbreak of shingles on my largest dermatome. So the dermatome is the neurologic spread that comes from your spine uh, around your skin. And my largest dermatome is on my rear end. And let me tell you, it was no fun. And that's what love can do to you. And I think it's important to have the words for your feelings so that you can actually begin to talk to people about them. And this is particularly important with children as they begin to work on their feelings and helping children come to some realization, give a word to how they're feeling so that you can talk to them about it. Now, we use the word love as an emotional word all the time. I love pizza, and I love the color blue, and I love my husband, and I love my kid. Needless to say, those love, that we're using the same word as an active verb, but they all really mean something different. And we are primarily pretty crippled in English by not having enough words for the different kinds of emotions. So I'm going to call out to my language specialist, Chloe, who's my producer. Chloe, do you speak any other languages? I do. I speak Vietnamese. So give me some words. to Speak them to me. Come on. Speak it to <laughs> me. Give it to me. Give it to me. Speak me some words of love in Vietnamese. Hmm. <clears throat> Clear your throat. <laughs> so Sit what's, up straight. What's interesting, though, is there are two types of words that uh, I guess communicate love back to English. 
we want to play the translation game. Right. And for as long as I can remember, whenever I watch Vietnamese TV shows, they always distinguish between love from a parent versus love that you feel for a significant other. So oh. it's, it's pretty much every other kind of love and then the love you feel for a significant partner, right? I've always been able to distinguish and I don't know what's changed, but within the last couple of years, they've intermixed the two and they only use the one word now. It's called ew. I, it's, I, it's actually really sounds, it sounds really odd in English, right? Oh no. oh, no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Stop, stop, stop. Stop, stop. Let's have a moment of silence. And Chloe, I want you to say this word that means love in Vietnamese. Ew. Ew. I thought at least for as long as I can remember, it was love that you felt for a significant romantic partner. But lately, I don't know why. I don't know what's changed in the culture or <laughs> in the way that people produce TV shows now. But they've intermixed the two. So now you say that to your 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 friend and your dog and your mom, and your dad. So I and I don't I don't know why because I've grown up with the two distinguishing forms of love. I guess in the languages, right. it's a bit weird to me. Yeah, do you think that's the westernization of of cultures? Because I don't know any other. La I mean, I know romantic languages, and I don't know them that well. I'm not um, as fluent, emotionally fluent. So we can be linguistically fluent in Spanish and not be emotionally fluent. We could be linguistically fluent in Vietnamese potentially and not emotionally fluent, not able to distinguish that there really are two words for love. And one is the love of a, f a family of a child or the familial love. And then there's the love of the other, well, like a friend, but romantic love or the love of your spouse is different from the love of your friend. Right. Uh, you know, romantic love is ew. And every other kind of love that you feel, whether it be your parent or a friend or, a, you know, a little pet or your pencil <laughs> is tung. Kung. Tung. There's a T. Kung. It could be oh, a B. I don't know. Tung. Tung. Yeah. It's almost like a click word. Huh. But yeah, so that tung is the word that you use for all the other kinds of love. But now when I watch TV shows, they've erased that word and they just use ew now. And I'm like, hmm, okay, that's a little bit odd to me. Huh. Well, I think that's important. That's an important transition. And in, when I was growing up, my parents... Um, told us that we shouldn't use the word love lightly. Mm. So when I love pizza or I love that color, I was reminded that like was the better word here, not love, because love was such a powerful word. And it's the only word we had that we should save it. So for those things which had an emotional content, now I can get emotional about pizza, but not really. To the point where you love it? Yeah, yeah. No, I like pizza. But go. people now use love all the time. You know, they, there's, I love that you said that. It comes as an automatic response to a text. I love that you said I that. I love that you said that. <laughs> I love that you said that. Do you really feel love? Do you really feel a combination? Do you feel the combination of trust and joy? Or is it just this little thing? So the word love has been cheapened. And that's my parents specifically would say, no, you don't really love pizza. You like pizza. You enjoy pizza. Pizza is tasty, but you don't love pizza. That's a good way to look at it. Well, it's it's this business of having not enough words. And, and so when there aren't enough words, it's an opportunity for an, a neologism, which a neologism any meaning new, logism meaning word, it would be time, I think, 
for some new words. So I have a I have a problem, and that is I love my car. Most people would say that's an immature response, but a lot of people love their car. And in fact, I've always loved my cars, and I've almost had what you might call unnatural relationships with my cars. And I've only had five cars, and my first car, when it died, I actually held awake with flowers and. People came over, and I told stories about my first car. So you'd say, "Well, okay, you love your car," but I now want to talk a little bit about finances and financial infidelity. It's a topic that came up today in the news, and actually, financial infidelity is where you are pair bonded with somebody, and it's you make the assumptions that you share your life with them, and you discuss important financial decisions with them. So. Once upon a time, about 13 and a half years ago, I went looking for a new car and I knew what I wanted. And I went to the car dealership, which shall be unnamed, but it was the car I wanted was a beautiful color. And this car company almost never makes cars in colors. And it was cushy because I tried one out and I walked to the car dealership and I said, I want this car in this color. And he points one out in the parking lot. And I said, okay. And I pull out my checkbook and I am ready to write a check for the entire amount of this luxury car. So I'm starting to write the amount and he's looking at me and he says, um, Mrs. Jones, what does Mr. Jones think about your choice? And I went, my Mr. Jones's car primary means of transportation is a bicycle. And if I ask him about this, we will not be buying this car. So why don't we just wrap this up and here's your check and you give me the car. And I was always, I was really upset because I thought maybe he was dissing my ability as a woman to buy a car on my own. And now I think maybe he was thinking I was committing like financial adultery. I was making decisions without my partner. And it turns out that I think we do that all the time. All my cars I have bought without consulting my husband. And in fact, a lot of things I do for women who have their very own checkbook and their bank account, they may do a lot of things that they don't discuss with their partner in life, um, their love partner. And this has been called financial infidelity. So financial truthfulness, financial monogamy means that you and your lifelong mate make decisions together. Except when it comes to my cars that I love, I practice monogamy, but I don't talk to my partner, my husband, about that. And it's been 13 and a half years. I think I'm about to do it again. So you'd think I would feel awful. You'd think that this infidelity would make me feel uneasy. But I love my cars. So how do my cars make me feel? Well, my cars make me feel safe. My cars make me feel like I'm free. And my car has history in it. And for many people, they have the very same feelings about place. And this might be love of a place. And people might call it love of the environment or of a home. We don't really think that much about how love and the environment might work together. But in fact, we have often a very powerful attachment to place. And there is a neologism, a new word, that's called solastalgia. 
S-O-L-A-S-T-A-L-G-I-A, solastalgia. And it's meaning um, being homesick for a place or the way the place was in the past. So we have a romantic relationship and an emotional relationship with place. It could be our forest. It could be our garden. It could be the home that we grew up in. It might be a place that we vacationed. But when that place changes and it isn't what it used to be anymore, we are homesick. We could be there, but we're homesick for the place it used to be. And that emotional word is a made-up word that was made up maybe 20 years ago called solastalgia. And that's the homesickness or the loss, feeling of loss of a place that we loved even when we're there because that place has changed. And I think that people are feeling that certainly right now in the time of Oh, big floods and big forest fires. There are going to be places, homes, uh, parks, lakes, places that were very uh, beloved to people, where they used to go to walk and find peace, where they won't ever be the same because they've been changed by fire. I have a place that I've been going to for almost 50 years. And when I first went there, it was my place of peace uh, when I was training and working 100 hours a week. It was a place that I could go where it was always peaceful. And now there are so many people who visit this place that it's completely noisy, overcrowded. You bump into everybody. There's loud music. It's no longer peaceful. And I really feel homesick when I'm there for that place that isn't the way I remember it. So the love of place can be a very powerful place, the kind of sanctuary that one feels when they're in a place or a home, as I say, or a garden or a park. It's often a place in nature where people feel just particularly calm. But when that changes permanently often, then one feels homesick for a place where you are, but it can't be that place anymore. I think as we're thinking of neologisms, meaning new words for emotions of love, it's helpful to have new words that help us think about how we used to feel about a place and how it's not that way anymore. In terms of thinking about words of love and how English doesn't have enough words for love, you know, we're told that French is the language of love, and I'm not sure I really understand that. Well, I do understand that for a couple reasons. Number one, um, back in medieval days, marriage was considered really a financial contract between two families. Love didn't have anything to do with it. So love was not part of the deal. It was two families consolidating their power, their money, or their land and making a match between a man and a woman. And in fact, marriages weren't commonly done between people of lower socioeconomic statuses. They would get together and they would be potentially monogamous, but it wasn't the marriage thing. But in the Middle Ages, um, troubadours started singing these songs of romantic love. And it had to do with the knights and who, the chivalry who would want to romance the king's wife, not necessarily sexually, but she was a woman of honor and he loved her. And they sang these songs of love and spread the idea of romantic love 
throughout the French kingdom and actually throughout Europe because of these French troubadours. And at the time in Europe, many people spoke French. And with the French troubadours singing these songs, it became kind of nice to think about romantic love. So that's one reason why people started thinking a long time ago that there's a language of love. And of course, French is a very soft language. It's not a hard language like Russian or German. It's a kind of a soft, I would actually say it's kind of mushy. It's a mushy language. And so it leads itself into conversations about love. And in fact, Google did a search of what are the most common words that are sought for translation among European languages. And actually, some of the most very common words asked to translate from one language to another is what is the French word for love? And it's l'amour. So l'amour. And many people want that. They want to know about it. Italian is next. And it turns out that nobody wants to hear the English languages of love. That's because we're kind of stuck on not very love languages. Okay, so French is the language of love. But I think that is an incredibly Eurocentric perspective. If you ask people in Africa, Asia, and in the polar areas, they have no clue whether French is the language of love. So it's a very Eurocentric perspective. So having the words for love so that you can express them becomes particularly important. Some people just don't use that word love very often. And that was kind of the way I was raised. But in my husband's family, it was like, I don't think anybody uses that word. So they must have it as their private inside word. You know, they don't have it as an outside word. So if you don't necessarily use the word love in your family, there must be other ways of expressing love. So the Five Love Languages have been it's a very famous book. And the love languages are words of affirmation, acts of service, quality time, giving gifts, and physical touch. So in some cultures, some of these will be more prominent in showing love if you're not using words than others. And in some persons, they might do one or the other. So in your family, if the word you... Did I say that right? No. Oh, okay. So, so you, you, ew, ew, ew. It literally is just like the word when you say ew, like that's gross. You. Okay. You. Okay. So if your family doesn't use you, ew, ew, ew. Yeah. There you go. It's just yeah. That's ew. that sounds. Okay. Yeah. I know. It's it's weird to say it in in that way, but that's how it is. So it's, Vietnamese takes a very big brain because not only is it a sound language, it's a tonal language. So it's got two things going at once. So what, if you're willing to share, are the love languages, if you don't use the word, in your family? How do you know, how do you know that your parents love you? I think of the five, probably acts of service. Acts of service is probably going to take priority. It's always kind of like the thought that counts and then the action that supports that thought uh -huh. rather than the words itself. What are things, how would someone let you know that they that they loved you? So my mother, are we talking about family only? Oh, well, you can share as much as you feel like you want to share <laughs> on tape. Go for it, Chloe. <laughs> so my mother is a chef. She cooks a lot. And um, if I were to kind of pinpoint her one act of service that she uses to express her feelings or her emotions is through food. Mm -hmm. So she cooks, uh, she cooks for the family, 
and she always cooks and I, she'll cook even if she's mad at you even if she hates you she'll cook because you're her family because there'll be times where my parents will get into some sort of heated argument and then they won't talk to each other for a day but she still cooks there's still always food on the table for him. she won't eat with him <laughs> <laughs> she won't sit at the table and eat with him but she always makes sure that there's food for him when he needs the food uh-huh. And same with me and my brother. We always have food. So that's my mother. It's your mother. And that's kind of how I've grown up too, just because of the way that I was raised and the family that I grew up in. The words, I love you, don't really mean too much to me. I appreciate it. But I think like you mentioned earlier, we use that word, especially in English, so often. And we associate it with so many things in our lives right. that it's almost kind of like you said, it cheapens the meaning of right. it. And so I would rather you do something meaningful for me rather than say those words and not really back it up with any action. So it's important if you have a relationship that's that's critical to you, whether it's your spouse or whether it's a brother or the sister, it's an important exercise to let them know what your love language is. And so an exercise that you can try, not you, Chloe, but someone could try is, I feel loved when you do this. So you write down on a card, um, pick three cards. Your significant other gets three cards and you have three cards and you, and you write down, I feel loved when you do this. And then you say three things that let the other person that you feel loved when those things happen. And then you swap cards because the other person may not know that what you're doing may not make any difference to them. So if you give them gifts, well, that's good, but that doesn't mean anything to me. So it's very helpful if you're going to be living with someone or someone's emotional language um, is important to you that you know how they feel loved. So I feel loved when you do this. I think my husband and I did this and I think it was when I cut his hair because he gets touch. So remember that physical touch is part of it. So he gets a physical touch and he also gets an act of service. And then he also gets words of affirmation like, oh, you are so cute with that haircut now. So those, I feel loved when you do this. Those things, because we really don't know what's inside someone's head. And the assumption that you do leads to a lot of sadness and doesn't ripen the sense of love that might happen in a relationship over time, or particularly if it's a new relationship and, you know, you think that, gosh, if this guy really loved you, he would send you cards on Valentine's Day, or he would remember your birthday, or he would send you gifts. And none of those things that my husband has ever done. But those were things that I thought were important to me. And then I had to reframe what was important to me uh, by what were the ways he actually did. So that's the other side of the exercises, I show you that I love you by when I do this. Oh, I didn't know that meant that you loved me when you did that. Oh, okay. I guess I get it. So that kind of conversation, if people need to feel loved and they're not getting it in a way that they can use it, leads for dismay. That leads for a sense of loneliness in a relationship. And that can be really hard. And for kids, you know, your mom shows you that she loves you by uh, cooking for you. And of course, as you raise your kids, you say, you know, I wouldn't yell at you if I didn't love you. So that's a similar kinds of things because kids want affirmation. They want to feel love 
And there gets to be a point, particularly in an adolescent, where they don't want physical touch anymore, where that's embarrassing for them. So to be able to help your adolescent understand that you do love them, and this is the way that you show that. There's a great song by uh, that Willie Nelson sings, You Were Always On My Mind. Maybe I didn't love you Quite as often as I could have But the other person didn't know that this person always had them on their mind. So a mother always has their children on their mind. Always. And the kid doesn't know that. The kid doesn't understand that being a mother, mother love means being totally overwhelmed by the dailiness of your concern for your children, even when they're grown up. They are always on your mind. And kids don't get that. Maybe you can tell them, maybe they'll never get it until they have their own children. So what happens for people who cannot feel or recognize love? And this is actually a relatively common problem, and it's part of the spectrum called autism. So severely autistic children have a very difficult time, if not impossible, for them to read love and the cues of love from their parents. They don't know how to express love uh, to their parents. So the on the spectrum of autism disorder is this inability to read others' emotions and express emotions appropriately on their own. They do feel the primary emotions. So the primary emotions are still intact, and that includes uh, joy and fear and sadness and disgust. So they still have those primary emotions, but it's the subtle secondary emotions which are often difficult for them to read. They don't know when someone's expressing love. They are uncomfortable with closeness. They don't know how to express love for another. And raising an autistic child becomes very hard for a parent who really needs the love language from their child to continue the extremely demanding work of child rearing. You need your child to smile at you. You need your child to reach out and touch you. You need your child to be emotionally connected with you. And autistic children have a very hard time reading love and expressing love. And as adults, it becomes very important in their social lives to have to help them learn some cues because it doesn't come automatically. So love is a secondary emotion but it's extremely important in our interactions with others and helps us bond and trust with each other. And in the condition of autism, that becomes really difficult. So when you love someone like a child who can't express that love in return, one seeks perhaps a higher kind of love or another reason perhaps to try to find love for this person who can't love you back. And that's where the powerful nature of spiritual love can be so helpful in people who are experiencing difficult circumstances, loss of love, loss of a person, loss of a place, and that concept of being able to call in your own heart to a higher kind of love becomes very important. Your spiritual life is one which you can carry with you. You can't always carry with you the person of your love, the place of your love, uh, the child of your love, 
But that powerful sense of belonging to something bigger, the love of a God, love of your God, or the love of a higher power, or knowing that you are part of a much larger consciousness or purpose that creates a sense of love and being, of love and belonging, is something that's very important for your well-being. Every single culture of every human person on this planet has some history of spirituality. So we must have been designed this way to have a sense of spiritual belonging, a sense of a higher power, and something that is good for you because we evolved. Either we were created by our maker to feel love of God, or we evolved in a way to create a sense of love. This sense of love that one can come, can create from a higher being or from a cosmic togetherness is something that also can lower your blood pressure. It can improve your sense of well-being. It can lower your chances of cancer and help your immune system. All the aspects of spirituality that we've discussed over all the seven domains are important in your wellness. And the most important thing is that you can take it with you wherever you go with some practice You can call it up whenever you need it. So it may take some practice. You may have to be still for a while and listen to that quiet voice that says you are loved, you belong, you're part of something bigger, because those things are very important for your overall sense of well-being. So... There we have. We've been through the seven domains of love and love in the seven domains. So I want to thank everybody who spent some time with us. And you can join us wherever you get your podcasts or come to our website at women7.com. Remember, we have other podcasts that you may really enjoy, including all about men uh, with our wonderful podcast on who cares about men's health and all about life in the hospital with clinical and you can get those wherever you get your podcasts so as we leave i'm going to give you a little haiku and it's called what's in a word what is in a word sleepless nights with a babe in arms love is the answer take care bye bye 